So last week, it was both kind of a, a good, feel-good little bit of a message, and there were certain parts of it that kind of were a little tough, kind of caused a little bit of tension. And what we talked about was, as we, Jesus followers, we come to this point of being justified before Christ because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, nothing that we've done, but because of that work, we walk in this justification and we begin to be progressively sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and and, and within that... The wrath of God is no longer poured out upon us as his people. The wrath of God is no longer poured out upon us because of the work of Jesus Christ. But but we said that, you know, sometimes difficult things happen. Hard things. And it could be just like everyday stuff like you're driving to work, you get a flat tire, you lose your wallet, you lose your keys. Have you ever lost your keys? Anyone? Like, like, what is up with that? That's from, that's right from the garden. That's from the brokenness of the world that we would lose our keys. Or have you ever lost your sunglasses only to find them on top of your head? (laughs) I I mean, I've been there. So these little annoyances take place in our lives, but then there's the bigger things. There's, there's, there's the loss of a job. There's, there's serious illness, even, even the death uh, in, in a family. And we said that because the wrath of God is not on those who follow Christ and are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you because Jesus Christ has paid the costs price of your sin he's not trying to get back at you because you messed up he's not trying to he's not trying to go oh you did that yeah we'll take this that's not what's happening and in that that's man that that's good news but the tension and the difficult part of what we talked about was we are justified we are being sanctified we walk with christ And that does not make us immune to hard and difficult things happening in our lives. That's just the reality of the brokenness of the world. That hard, difficult, serious things can take place in our lives. And we're just not immune to it. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't give you a get out of nothing bad's going to happen free card. Because it's just life. That's just the way it is. Our faith doesn't make us immune to it. Paul understood that. And Paul understood that, that we have a hope. And that hope is in Jesus. No matter what happens, our hope is in Jesus. And he talked about how going through trials and sufferings builds endurance. And that endurance leads us to to a character, a godly character, a sanctifying character. And in that character, we focus our hope not on created things, not on our own ingenuity, not on our bankroll, not on our intelligence. We focus our hope on Christ and Christ alone. And that's why Paul could rejoice. And his sufferings. For whatever reason, God saw Paul worthy to suffer publicly before the church. Not just the church in Colossae, 
but the church universal. And Paul knew that, that some good was going to come out of his suffering. That, that they would, the church would somehow be encouraged. That faith would be built up. That, that he would teach them with his life what it looks like to hope in God. Even when life is falling apart around him. God thought him worthy. Now, remember what I said, man. It's, these things aren't easy. I'm not minimizing anybody's pain or hurt or suffering. These things are not easy. I don't invite hardship into my life. And and I'm sure none of you have. We don't have to. It just invites itself in. I would much rather bring glory to God by being a good husband and a good father and, and being a good pastor and doing just good things. I would love to bring him glory just in those ways. But that's not the reality of life. And sometimes we are hit right between the eyes with something that we never expected. But we have a hope. And we're going to celebrate that hope next week. We have a hope. My prayer is that, you know, if, if I'm ever faced with that type of suffering, that I would, I would suffer well. I mean, you don't know until you're there. I mean, we all can say, I would do it. But when you're there and you look it in the face, my prayer is that we, I, would learn to suffer well, that we would grow in our endurance, and that we would grow in character, and that we would live the professed hope we speak about in Jesus Christ. So let's get to our text in Colossians this morning. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filled up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So we wrestled through the first half of this text last week, and where I want to spend some time, where I want to begin our journey this morning, where it says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul, which is very consistent in his writings, he likes to kind of establish himself, who he is, who's writing this letter. And this is, this is um, his, his pattern here. Okay, he's writing, remember, to a church, to a church that he did not start, he did not plant this church, he has never visited this church, and at best he knows one or two people from this church. So he wants them to understand that he is a minister. A minister, and this is just kind of in a, a universal sense, in a general sense. He's a minister of the kingdom, he's a minister of the church, and I would say that he too is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So by God God's grace, Paul has been called to a particular role, to to something that God has for him to do. He is called to make the word of God fully known. And he wants the church to understand that. He has been called by God to make the word of God fully known. And we can see the universality of, of, this, of this idea that, this, that his calling connects him to a church, to a people that he has never met before. 
that, that he has never visited this church and yet somehow he is connected to them by the word of God, by the gospel of Jesus Christ to make the word fully known. So as he's doing what he is called to do by God, it's having its effect on people he's never met before. And see, church, I believe that we have that same calling as Paul. We have the same calling that connects us to a bigger picture, a bigger movement, the church with a capital C. It's, 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 it's what's in us. What God has called us. Take a message. Thanks. Look at this verse in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people of his possession. My goodness if that's not good news. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Paul has been called to do exactly what we have been called to do. Look at this. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession... We have been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of the darkness and into the light. We share the same calling that Paul had. Each one of us, each one of you. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And you know, this stuff just doesn't take place Like when you just, okay, we're going to go to a missions trip. Then I'm going to be a priest and I'm going to act like a chosen person. It's not just for the missionary who gets sent off into some foreign land to to go and, and serve in the darkest parts of the world. This is for all of us. This is about every single day. This is about walking in in sacredness. If you are a priest... If you are part of the priesthood, then you have been called to engage sacred, holy things. You have been called to be, to be ambassadors of reconciliation for the kingdom of God. That's what the priests did. They went to God for the people. Now you can go directly to God yourself. And this is about everyday stuff, man. This is about recognizing the sacredness of every single day. Whether it's at school, at the office, in your cubicle, at the, at the field, with friends, with family, chilling with, with, with the, your bros at the pub. I would not encourage that. But I'm just saying, if you're there, <clears throat> this is about recognizing the sacredness in every single day. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. Go. And, and it's not this go to Africa. Go to Colombia. Go to this other. I mean, maybe God is calling you there. But the go that, that's, that, that has this sense of go and live your life. 
Go and live every day in the thing that God has called you to and make disciples. Teach people about Jesus. Teach people what it means to follow Jesus. Use words, use actions, but go and baptize them. Baptize people. In in, in our church, we've baptized. In fact, there's a baptism class right after church in the children's church room. I'll be there if you want to get baptized in April. And so, and, 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 and. I don't have to baptize people. I have no more mojo than any of you when it comes to God. I am part of, part of the priesthood, not the priests. I am part, this is the priesthood. And we have had baptisms where I never even got in the water. Because brothers have baptized brothers and sisters have baptized sisters. And it's, it's an honor and a privilege for me to do it, but I don't have to. Because we're part of the chosen people, a possession of God, a royal priesthood. We are connected together as the church in the same way Paul is connected to a church that he has never visited. We are connected to a movement and to a community and to, and to a universal possession of God. Are you following that? Do you understand that? Because it's important for you to understand that if you're going to live in that way. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word that Paul has been commissioned to share at this point in his life, it's been a mystery up until... Christ was revealed. Nobody was really sure how this was all going to play out. I mean, if you think about it, God begins to create, and he creates the heavens and the earth, and it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. He creates man and woman, it's all good, it's all good. And then man and woman, they, they do something, and they sin, and they eat the fruits, and it just kind of falls apart from there. And, and, and in that uh, it has it has uh, consequences beyond just them. It, it tears the very fabric of the universe apart, and sin has entered the world. And in that moment, when they've eaten the fruits, they they notice that they're naked, and they feel shame, and they hide from God. In their sin, in their nakedness, they feel that shame, and then God comes and He gives them the talking to. He gives them the talk, Genesis 3, and he lays out for them how this is all going to go. And, and actually, it's, it's, it's not going to go well, but there's a plan. And after God gives them the talking to, it says that he makes them garments of skin to cover themselves. In that moment, God's plan has already begun, and he has taken away their sinfulness. He's taken away their shame. But if you notice, the Bible says, that text says, that he gives them garments of skin. Something had to die. 
in order for their shame to be covered. And God's plan starts in motion. We go through Cain and Abel, and the story of Noah. We have Abram. Ab- he tells Abram, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. A great nation. And all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God has begun to create for himself a covenant people. His own people. And we go through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in Egypt and 400 plus years of slavery for the Israelites. And then we come to Moses and the Exodus and the law. And God this whole time he's working in and with his people. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's refining them and, and, he's, and he's working with them. But it's just this up and down, back and forth, side to side thing. And, and, and so he's always just kind of correcting them and moving them and, and pushing them and prodding them. And they, they, they take part in the law. And the law says they have to make sacrifices in order to be forgiven for their sin. And we can go into, and I won't get into it deeply, but, but those sacrifices weren't for God. They were for us. And so they try to pay attention to the law. They do the best they can, but they fail miserably. And so, and history marches on. And then we have King David and the prophets. And the prophets begin to talk about this this Savior, this Messiah, and the line of David. He will sit on David's throne forever. And no one's really sure how this is supposed to play out. They don't know how it, what it really looks like. It's been a mystery. God's plan has been this mystery all the way up until Christ. And even in David's time, yeah, there's, there's, there's prophetic utterance of it, but they're not really sure what it and how it's supposed to be played out. They know that there's something, know that there's something in the future, but they don't know what it looks like. It's a mystery. In fact, so much so that when the mystery is finally revealed in Jesus Christ, people... They don't get it. And they, they, they kind of go, well, I can't be hit. We want a king. We want a conqueror. Not this Jesus guy. And they miss the points. They don't understand that the sufferings of Christ had to take place. That's part of God's plan. But people have missed it. But now, in Paul's time, with the revelation of Jesus Christ's The glory of the Lord is no longer just at a tent or a building with a certain people. But the glory of the Lord now dwells in each and every one of us. Do you see the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you? Christ in you. Not some building, not some tent, not just a certain people, but all who would profess Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed. Christ now dwells in you. The mystery solved. It's been revealed. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me.
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The idea of maturing in Christ, maturing as a Christian, maturing in faith, is a very common theme that's written throughout of Paul's writings. It was always on the forefront of his mind. In fact, it's, it's a common theme throughout the entire New Testament. There's, the, the idea is that we, we have been justified by the merits of Jesus Christ and him alone. And in that point of justification, we have been made right with God. And at that moment from there, we enter into the adventure of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that maybe we could say that, that we enter into a maturing process, maturing of our faith. It's, it's, it's written throughout Paul's writings, I think, except for 2 Corinthians. Um, the theme of it is to mature the body of Christ, to grow into him that is the head, Christ himself. And I would say that to mature as a Christian, it's not, it's not, an, it's not optional. It's what we're called to. Our progressive sanctification is something that, 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 is, that is what we're called to, to be part of. And as I was, as I was thinking about this idea of, of maturing, maturing as a body, maturing as individuals, I'm not so sure the church, and, and I believe us included, I'm not really sure that we spend enough of time and resources Promoting a mature body of believers. Historically, we like the salvation message. We need to get people saved. We need to get them out of hell. And so if they would just get saved, and so we, we focus on salvation. We need to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Tell them about him. Get them to say a prayer, and then we can get them saved. And that's, a, that's an important part of our faith, except the whole say the prayer part. I, I got issue with that, but that's just me, and, and I'm not fully sanctified yet either. So, but anyway, and so, and so it's, it, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing to get people saved and just kind of leave them hanging. You know, for so many years... You might have heard of a, a movement, and I believe it's died down quite a bit now. The movement was, was something called the uh, seeker-sensitive movement. And what this movement tried to do was to take, to take sacred in church out of church, to make it feel just very cool and hip, and we got to kind of water it down. We don't, want, we don't want the gospel message or Jesus to be offensive to anyone because we want to get more and more people in and we want to just get them saved. And so we give them, we give them this, this Cracker Jack Christianity. You know, it's all nice and sugar-coated and then you got a little prize inside and everybody goes home feeling good. I don't, I don't believe for us as a church we've ever really been seeker-sensitive. Because, and the way I know that is because I've had people come to our church um, kind of figuring out what, what Christ is or what Christianity is. And, and I guess you could call them seekers. And I've offended them. 
especially from things I've said up here. They've taken offense to that. How do I know? Because they've come and told me, you've offended me, I'm not coming back. And the best I can do is just say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I, I, I mean, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> I would never say that. But I've offended people. <laughs> now that's one for the Monday morning pastor hangover right there. I would never say that, okay? Not to people, to their face at least. Oh, where was I? Okay, and so, and, and, and I've even offended, I've even offended Christians, long-standing Christians with the things I've said from here. And how do I know? Because they've come and they've told me. You know, I believe you're wrong. And I was, no, I believe you're wrong. And they've left. So I don't believe we're, we're seeker sensitive in that. I don't, I don't think we've watered anything down at our church. Our building is the way it is because it's a building. Yeah, I would love, I would love one of those old time church buildings with this. I just love the sacredness of that. We'd get rid of the pews and have real chairs. But I mean, I mean, I just love that. But we are, we don't water things down to make people feel good. But even in saying that, do we focus on maturing, on maturing the body of Christ? Because it has to be a focus. It has to be something of great importance. And let me tell you what I mean by maturing. Because the first thing we go to when we think about a mature disciple of Christ is their behavior. Well, they behave well, and they do this, and they do that, and they don't do this, and they don't do that. So obviously, they must be a mature believer. No, that is completely wrong. Maturity in Christ means that your love and affection for him continually deepens in your life, in your heart. To mature in Christ means that you are deepening in your love and affection for who he is, and you're desiring him more and more. Man, and if you can get a hold of that, if you you can mature in that then all the other peripheral things they will change your behavior will change you can't change it yourself but the affection and love of christ welling up within you will change your life and that's what maturing in christ is that's what it means to be to mature and i'm going to say this our maturing is evidence of the gospel Within us. Let me say it this way. Our maturing. Is evidence. That you. Are saved. And I know you don't like to hear that. I know that's a hard truth. But it's truth all the same. Because when the Holy Spirit. Enters into a person's life. Soul. And heart. Transformation takes place and you don't just say a prayer and be good and live your life the way you've always lived it because that's the lack of evidence of the holy spirit in you the holy spirit will change and transform you and so if you're not maturing and deepening in your love affections for jesus christ then As I've spoken to so many people about this, 
I've, I've, I've found that, that many people just don't want to mature in Christ. Because Paul talks about it, it's, it's our sin. See, we want the things of God and not necessarily God himself. So we want the gift and not the giver. And we desire the gift more. And, and in that, desiring the gift more, we even desire salvation, the gift of God more than we desire God himself. I saw on Facebook this morning, there was a picture of, of um, Jesus hugging a dude in heaven, because it looked like heaven. And then there's another picture of people falling off this cliff into fire. And it said, what one do you like? One or two? Well, I scrolled through, I didn't see any twos. Nobody, if you said, okay, you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? Nobody's going to go, well, I choose hell. I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints, right? That's what Billy Joel said, you know, I, Nobody says that. And so we even desire the gift of salvation from God more than we desire him himself. And people don't want to do the work of pursuing Christ. Of, of, of the, the, the sacrificial work of pursuing him. And so Jesus just becomes, he becomes our a little binky. You know, it's that thing that we just, we curl up to when things go bad, when, when, you know, when we need to be consoled. We just kind of curl up to Jesus and he makes us feel better. And then we're just off and on our way again. That's not who Christ is. It's not who he ever has been. To mature in Jesus is that our affection and love would, for him would deepen as we journey on in this thing of faith. You cannot be saved without being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the pursuit of Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved without being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, he's going to go into some detail about kind of, I don't know if it's a process, but it's, it, it's kind, of, kind of where maturing kind of gets itself from. And, and it says, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim without Jesus being the central, most important thing in our faith. Without Christ being the most important thing. Without the cross and the resurrection being the single most important thing. We have nothing. Nothing at all. It has to be central. It has to be our foundation. Because in him, through him, and for him, all things have been created. Even our maturity. And so without him, we've got nothing. We do not mature without Christ being central. Central in our lives. The most important. The ultimate thing. In, it's, it's him we proclaim. And it says, warning everyone. And teaching everyone. I, I just want to explain a little bit what the, what the everyone is. Paul's talking about. It's not this universal everyone in the whole entire world. Again, this goes back to the people that you come in contact with, your, 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 um, your scope of influence, people that come in and out of your lives. It's the everyday stuff. If you believe that we have been called as a priesthood, a holy nation, and that's to take place every day within our lives, in the day-to-day grind, even the day-to-day grind is sacred, and then the everyone that Paul's talking about 
are all of those people that you come into contact with. It's just, it's just living your life as the priests that you have been called to. It's living your life in the sacredness and the holiness that is every day. And so every person that we chat with, whether it be at our office, in our family, or in the grocery store, is a sacred moment. And Paul says, warning everyone. This is what I believe he's talking about. As a culture, as a culture, we have grown comfortable with God's grace and God's mercy. We love the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I love God's grace and God's mercy. And I believe that we are a church that proclaims that mercy and that grace. But it's a fine line. And people use grace and mercy as license to live whatever way they want to live. Instead of the grace and mercy is the calling to the heart and soul and the love and affection of who Jesus Christ is. And so we've received this amazing gift, not through our own merits, but through the merit of Christ, a gift that we don't deserve. And if we get always hung up on this grace and mercy thing, grace and mercy thing, then, then Jesus gets... I was trying to think of a, a good word for this. I don't want to use the word watered down, but, but Jesus loses his punch. I mean, are you following with that? It's like we, we, we look at Jesus as some, some dude with a peace sign and he's got the long flowing cool hair and he wears whatever product in it to keep it from blowing around. And he's got the, he's got the blue eyes, you know, the piercing blue eyes. And, and, and he's like, he's, he's like hippie-esque, you know, because he wears sandals and he, and he probably has the, the, the cloak on. And all he wants to do is hug people. And, and unfortunately, that's the way we in the West, we, we you know, the, 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 blue, the, the blue-eyed, huggy Jesus. But if we just think of Christ in that way, then we miss the full counsel of the Scripture. We miss all of the other stuff that it says about Him in Scripture. Because remember, Jesus is God. And so there has been, on more than one occasion... In the scriptures where God would tell his people, if you do this, or if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. It's in the Bible. And in fact, Genesis, when God tells the man, you can have anything you want. Eat from any tree in the garden except this one or what? You will die. There's a story in Numbers 15. Let me set it up for you. Jesus, uh, God, he, he establishes this thing called the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a day where there will be no work. The Sabbath is a day holy unto the Lord. And he said that you will not work. You will, do not, you will not do any work on this day or you must die. Pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of gray area in that statement. If you work, you should die. All right? I think that if we're not taking a Sabbath... 
in our culture, you're dying slowly anyway. But, but God says, if you work on this day, you're going to die. Well, there's a story in Numbers 15 about this guy, nameless guy. They don't even give him his name. And it says that he's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. It doesn't say he's picking up sticks for firewood. It doesn't say he needs to fix his tent or, or, or anything. I think maybe he's picking up sticks so his kids don't fall down and get a thorn in their, in their foot. I have no idea. There's no name. But the community sees him. They see him on the Sabbath picking up sticks, not even logs, sticks. And they take him to Moses. Yo, Moses, dude's picking up sticks. What do we do? Moses says, wait here. I'm going to go check with, with God. And he says, Lord, what do we do? And God says, kill him. He picked up sticks on the Sabbath. And so the whole congregation goes outside the camp and they throw rocks at him until he's dead. That's the full counsel of Scripture. You ever hear something called the Ark of the Covenant? It's where the presence of God would rest in the Old Testament. The Ark was a very sacred and holy thing. And certain people could touch the Ark and certain people could not touch the Ark. And it was God's command. God chose who could and who couldn't. And so there's a story in 2 Samuel 6. David is, and, and all of Israel, they're celebrating. They got the ark back. They're dancing. David's down in his BVDs, and he's just losing his mind. And, he's, and, and, and everything is going crazy. And the ark is on a, uh, on a cart, and it's being pulled by ox. And I guess one of the ox stumble, as the story goes. And the ark starts to tip. And this guy named, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Uzzah, he reaches out to steady the ark so it doesn't fall, and he touches it. And unfortunately for him, he wasn't one of the guys that should be or could be touching the ark. And guess what happens to him? He's protecting the ark of God from falling off of the cart into the dirt. And what does God do? He kills him. Now, I know that sounds terrible. Like, what kind of God would do that? Let me tell you what kind of God would do that. A God who takes his commands and holiness very seriously. See, God is a just God. And his justice is perfect and absolute. And and the Lord was exercising his justice in those moments. And it's his to enact upon and it's his to hold back. The Lord is holding back his justice on earth and humanity right now. But one day it will not always be that way. One day his justice will reign and it will be perfect and it will be divine. Now, some of you might say, oh, Dennis, that's Old Testament stuff. Jesus yeah, he made the whip. He tipped a few tables. He had some really cool, harsh words for the Pharisees. But that's all. You can still wear a peace sign and tip a table. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Revelation chapter 18. Jesus is coming back. The rider on the white horse. He's got a tattoo on his thigh, which I think is awesome. It says his robe is dipped in blood. That's no joke. And he calls the birds. He says, birdies, come around. And you can feast on the supper of the Lord. And then he goes to war with the beast, the false prophet. And he tells the birds, stay around, man. You can, you can eat up some kings and some mighty men and some horses and their riders. And Jesus goes to battle. And... 
the beast and the false prophet, they're captured. And everyone else that fought with the beast and the false prophet were killed by the sword that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. And the text says that the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So much for hugs and peace signs. That's Jesus enacting the perfect justice once and for all of God on earth. There is a tremendous, tremendous lack of the fear of the Lord in our culture. There is a a serious lack of pursuit of God and holiness in our culture and even within the church. We've, our culture has been lulled into thinking that, that if I don't believe in God, then he has no bearing on my life because I don't believe in God. It's kind of, I mean, we all have these stories about playing hide and go seek with our kids, but I have one. Uh, Megan, when she was very young, and I have her permission to use this, so Megan, when she was very young, we used to play hide and seek, and she used to sit on the couch and close her eyes and say, you can't see me. Yeah, I can. You're sitting right there, sweetie. No, you can't. And she would open her eyes and go, see? I'm like, sweetie, you're sitting right there. That's because I opened my eyes. Now you can see me. And she'd close her eyes again and say, you can't see me. And it's like that with our culture. They close their eyes to God, don't think that God sees anything, and then they're safe. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter what you believe. Every person, every person that walks this earth will stand before God and either they will receive his judgment and wrath or they will receive his grace and mercy. Everyone has that appointment, whether you believe it or not. And as a church, as a church, I see over and again, there's, there just seems to be too little concern for sin. In our pursuit of Christ, the pursuit of sanctification is lazy. And a, a lack of respect for holiness and sacredness. Our God is a just God. And his justice will prevail. I myself want to be one that receives the grace and the mercy through Jesus Christ. But that's not the story for everyone. The entire earth is living under his grace right now. Because, because, if that wasn't the case, then every person who has not been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ would be dead right now. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And I know we like to go, well, that's a spiritual death. And that just sounds all nice and hunky and dory. But read the scriptures. Sapphira, Ananias. Is this all the money? Yep. Dead. Hey, is this all the money? Uh, Yep, yeah. You know what? The people that just brought your husband out, they're coming back for you. Dead. Now, I I don't want to instill fear in you, but I want to instill a healthy fear of the Lord because the scriptures tell us that 
fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Warn everyone. Teach everyone. And the teaching here is, it's talking about just teaching, understanding, engaging what the character and the nature of God is and the things that he calls us to and the things that he requires of us. There are things, and I believe these are just some of them that Paul lists, but there are things that lead us, guide us, allow us to enter into our sanctification, enter into our maturity. And maturing in Christ, the deepening of our love and affection for Jesus Christ is evidence of your salvation. And yes, we all are there on different, we're at different places and we mature at different speeds. I understand that. But there has to be a maturing. It is the evidence of your salvation. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone that we would be presented mature in front of Christ. This is Holy Week. This is a time of preparation of the soul and of the heart. This is a time where even for just one week, I encourage you to pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Allow... Open up your heart and man, just, just allow the Holy Spirit to get in there and shape and form and reveal, burn and prune. I'm telling you, it won't be easy. It never is. But I will say, it's worth it. Because in the end, in the end, you know what we get? In the end, we get Him. In the end, we get Him. Not all of this, this stuff that the world wants to throw at us. In the end, no matter what, we get Christ and Christ alone. I love you guys. I'll see you Easter Sunday. Grace and peace to you.